0: Hello and welcome to the One Football podcast. Welcome to another episode of the European Tour podcast with me Dan Burke brought to you by One Football. This week we're turning our attention away from domestic matters and focusing on the glorious return of the Champions League, the Europa League and even the Conference League. Joining me on my quest are Matt Frolik. Good afternoon. And Daniel Cadena Jordan. Hey hey, good to be back. Good to have you here. How are you doing, fellas? Did you enjoy the European football this week? Uh, It was a
1: stark reminder that Spurs were kicked out, (laughs) uh, not allowed to play,
0: so uh, it was a bit disappointing. But overall, that was very enjoyable. How about you, Danny? Is a Bayern fan a little bit frustrating for you on on, uh, Wednesday night, was it?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a tough week if you're rooting for the wrong team in that regard, isn't it? But it's still fun. Like I kind of miss this more than just focusing on the... Saturday, Sunday action elsewhere. Yeah, so It's good for change.
0: Well, I quite enjoyed City's win in Lisbon, I'll say that. Uh, <laughs> shame, <laughs> I I'm, shame I wasn't there getting drunk in Lisbon, but I'll be there in a couple of weeks. I hope the City fans have, uh, have left me some beer to drink. That's all I'll say about that. Uh, this was also the first week uh, of the Champions League, uh, well, of, of all European competitions since the away goals rule was scrapped. How do we feel about that? Do we feel like it's added a, a strange feeling to European competition?
1: Uh, I think so a little bit because... As I'm sure we'll get into, I felt like Real Madrid weren't really that bothered about getting an away goal. Mm. And so maybe it kind of takes something away from the first leg. Um, it'll probably be one of those things that we'll get used to, though, eventually. Yeah. For
0: you, Donny?
2: Well, I think the whole idea of like the away goal came into place for a reason, which was what Matt just said, that maybe the team that is defending away from home has no real incentive to just go all full out and just go for the game. But uh, I don't know. There's also a nice edge there that there are two games, so it might be interesting to see how Madrid try to reverse this uh, at the Bernabéu. So you know, you never know. I think uh, you know it's 180 180 minutes, as they say. So let's yeah, that.
0: I, was, I was always in favor of, of the away goals uh, scrapping it. I thought it was a bit antiquated. You know, it was it sort of belonged in a, in a bygone era when going away to Europe was a big deal, and nowadays it's not such a big deal for teams, is it? But yeah, it seems it just seems a little bit strange now uh, to me. I can't really, can't really wait, get used to it.
1: Well, hold on, I'm just putting this together in my head. So that means, for example, Rangers win at Dortmund, the four two, yeah, um, could be overturned and taken to extra time and penalties if Dortmund win two 0 Yes,
2: exactly,
0: exactly.
1: Ah, uh, see, I'm not keen on that because I think that is a mammoth effort <laughs> to go to Dortmund and score four, and Dortmund only
0: have to score two. That is well, true. The way Dortmund are playing, it'll be a mammoth effort to go to, to Ibrox <laughs> yeah. and score two, won't it? So. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll come back to that later on, but let's uh, let's yeah. begin in Paris, where PSG beat Real Madrid one nil on Tuesday, courtesy of a ninety fourth minute winner from Kylian Mbappe. Thank you for spoiling my match report, Kylian. That was uh, that was much appreciated. Uh, Danny, do you think Real Madrid played within themselves here, or did PSG PSG force them to play like that?
2: Um, I mean. It also has to be said that Madrid are like a far cry from what they used to be a couple of years ago, three years ago, even Uh, like they've struggled with identity wise. They've struggled like finding like the right fit in the coach. Ancelotti's done a good job, but he's more of like a man manager coach more than he is, you know, like a tactic savvy coach nowadays, isn't he? So I do believe that, you know, PSG had the upper hand and, you know, doesn't hurt to mention that they are arguably you know, Neymar, Messi and Di Maria and Mbappé and all the teams, all the players I have up front, kind of like as a team that are a bit slow in the back to just play in a cager fashion, I reckon. And I think that was basically the case last uh, two nights ago.
0: Yeah. yeah. What do you make of this uh, this talk that Ancelotti might be getting sacked in the summer? I mean, Real Madrid are, are you know, several points clear at the top of the, the Liga table. It's a bit strange now
2: gives you an idea how much they care a shit about the league right now. So, <laughs> yeah. they know the quality of the league is not the biggest either so they kind of assume you're supposed to dominate this it's very much like Pellegrini in his day isn't it like you know he was sacked with 93 points on the table winning the, mm. the league but you know no Europe no money so bye bye
0: yeah yeah uh, what, what did you think of Real Madrid's performance Matt was it a little bit strange to you that they went there and, and, and played so sort of meekly uh,
1: yeah it was a little bit it looked as though and you never say this about Real Madrid sort of out of their depth on mm. this stage. Um, I thought Modric was actually pretty good. I thought Tony Cross had a really poor game. It didn't look like they were sort of carrying that badge of honour of we are the record holders in the Champions League, we'll Real Madrid and we'll go to anyone. It sort of looked like they were just trying to stop a PSG onslaught and a bit worried too much about what PSG could do rather than imposing themselves on the game. And I said, I, I don't know whether it's because of that change the away goal rule. I still think taking 1-0 back, regardless of the away goal rule, it isn't the worst result, to be honest. Mm. I think Real Madrid would have backed themselves to win at home, but it was just a bit odd.
0: Well, if, the, if they take a 0-0 back, would you have really fancied them to go through from that point? That's the thing. If they have taken a 0-0 back, you
1: would have said, oh, Ancelotti's got his spot on, they're a bit defensive, they obviously relied on Courtois, but they know they've got a great keeper, so it looks like a bit of a masterstroke. Um, but I think that... The 1-0 was not terrible, but it, it was definitely justified from, from PSG. Um, I don't know. I, I just think that with Real Madrid still probably just favourites, taking a home with a 1-0. Um, but, but who knows, to be honest. I think PSG are certainly proving they have a bit more more pedigree in these bigger games the more the Champions League goes on, especially Mbappe. Mm.
0: Definitely, yeah. Well, Angelo, he said afterwards that Kylian Mbappe is the best player in Europe. Would you go along with that, Danny?
2: I mean, he's definitely in the conversation, isn't he? Uh, he's been very, very prolific. Mm-hmm. What is it? Two, 22 goals and 16 assists in 32 games. But I don't know. I have to be more partial here and just keep on rooting for my good boy, Robbie, and uh, Lewandowski being definitely number one at this point, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, I oh, This is a tough one. The thing is, it's so easy to bring strikers into this conversation because you can just point to the stats. Yeah, that's a so, thing. Yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah, I, I would say so. For me, what, what's most impressive that yeah, he's definitely in the conversation of best player in Europe. He's a big game player. Mm. Like Mbappe, just that didn't phase him at all. The fact that Real Madrid effectively put two players on him, like he made mincemeat Carver Howe to the point that he got taken off. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and Casemiro and Modric were both like, okay, we're gonna have to double up on this guy, and he still went through two of them and got the winner. Um, think back to the hat trick in the Camp Nou last year. Uh, scoring in the World Cup finals, like I think you know, there's there's good players and then there's big game players, and he's filling both categories for me.
0: Is he arguably a more complete player than, say, Erling Haaland?
2: Oh, yeah. I- I would say so, definitely. I think he has... I mean, maybe they have about the same pace because Haaland's no slow guy, is he? But mm. um, also Mbappe has a thing that Haaland doesn't have or it's kind of like you're starting to see maybe like where the seams in Haaland are is that he gets injured, like muscle, like has muscle troubles relatively often. Mm. So he kind of tells like the amount of effort he has to put into like actually, you know, keeping that stride up. Um, that's obviously maybe like an edge for him, I reckon. Like he's obviously have more games per season in than than Haaland at this point. Um but yeah, he is definitely more a, a Madrid profile than Hallen. in any case, I think. Especially if Ben that's on that spot. Yeah, yeah.
0: Which
2: is arguably why Ancelotti was getting as much praise. Like it's it's good, you know, good lip service for the next <laughs> season, isn't it?
0: Well, I mean there's a bit of talk that maybe the Real Madrid move might not be so hasty and after all. Maybe there's a possibility that, that Mbappe stays at PSG. Do you think there's any possibility of that, Matt?
2: Um,
1: they're going to have to do a lot of convincing. The the problem is, I don't think lies in the Champions League. The problem lies in the competitiveness of Liga Mm. and the fact that Mbappe's won it all multiple times in French domestic football. Because if you say um, uh, PSG don't win the Champions League, right, their failure is a good enough excuse for Mbappe to leave. And if PSG do win the Champions League, it's a good enough reason to say, well, I've won it all now with PSG, what's next? So either way, mm. there's a good excuse for him to leave. So I, I
2: can't particularly see him staying, no.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's any chance, Danny, that he goes to a, a club other than Real Madrid this summer?
2: I mean, uh, who would have the money and the need for Mbappé right now? What, City maybe at this point? Maybe. But yeah, yeah. Like, the, like the amount of teams that could actually afford him to begin with are probably two or three at this point. Like Europe, uh, European football or like some of the big clubs in European football are like struggling financially or working on a tight budget kind of. Um, so not many doors open right now for that sort of signing, that sort of wage in specific. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of felt like a match in the sense that, you know, Madrid have the need, have the budget, have the space in the squad, have sort of like the idea of revamping this project after Ancelotti leaves this summer, which theoretically should be happening. Um, so it did feel like, you know, hand in glove kind of situation, but, uh, Maybe not. Maybe Paris is willing to just fork out enough dough to convince this guy to stay there forever. I mean, done it before (laughs) with a lot of other players. They convinced Messi to come over. They convinced Neymar to come over. It's kind of their thing. Like you know, throw money at a problem until it goes away, kind of.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you mentioned Messi there. He missed the penalty in this game. That's his fifth uh, penalty miss in the Champions League, drawing him level with with Thierry Henry for the most penalties missed. Uh, Does that did that kind of sum up his time at PSG? Do you think, Matt? I thought he was okay in this game, but he's he's not really. Hit his stride as a PSG player yet, has he?
1: Yeah, he, it really kind of does sum, it, sum up his time. It was always going to happen for me. I just think that after so long at Barcelona, he must have, the way they played and the, the way that the team was built around him must have just been ingrained into him. I just think a move was always going to be difficult, regardless if you're the best player in history or not. Uh, it also seems to me that he plays very well. With the likes of Neymar and Mbappe and Di Maria, especially, but the rest of the team not so much. I don't know why. I just I, I think when you've got a team that's geared to other top players and not just towards him, maybe it's a little bit more difficult. I also think personally it's a big change for him and his family. You know, after so many years, if you were, you know, to, to change the city you live in. I think it will be a little bit more difficult for most people. and I don't think even though he's a footballer, is any different. Um, so, yeah, his, his time hasn't exactly gone to plan.
0: Yeah, it, it, he's, he's not not a spring chicken anymore, is he? We've seen uh, mm. the way that Cristiano Ronaldo has slowed down a little bit for United this season. He's still scoring goals, but he's not the player he was. Same with Messi. Yeah, right. it, it was inevitable that it would happen at some point. Do you think there's a possibility that we see a bit of a, a sort of Indian summer for his career, Danny? Or, or do you think this is it now Is he, he's sort of petering out?
2: Well, I kind of have the theory that his move to PSG was sort of the equivalent of any other player going to like the MLS or, you know, the Middle East or something like that. Mm. Like to him is like an end of an era with Barcelona, obviously. But I mean, he's won everything. Like, well, what's, what's the challenge? Win league on now? Like besides <laughs> the World Cup and the Copa América, which he already won, there really wasn't that much for him to achieve. It's more of, you know, doing a really good qualifiers with Argentina, which he has been doing arguably when he's played. I think he's just focused on Qatar at this point. Uh, whatever he does in, in France this season is, and I'm pretty sure that was an honest discussion they must have had at PSG at that time when he was signing on. That you know his focus was definitely going to be on being fit for the World Cup, uh, having a performance in Qatar, which you know kind of goes hand in hand with you know who was owning that club. Um, so yeah, uh, but are PSG necessarily struggling? Because Messi's struggling a little bit? I'm far from it, I reckon. I mean, you still have Mbappe, you know, playing great football. Neymar still playing amazing level. Di Maria has been playing better than you know in a while. So. Do they miss Missy? No, but they do enjoy selling more jerseys, don't they? So
0: <laughs> yeah. it's not a bad it's, deal, is it? Whatever happens, it's been worth it for the amount oh, of money they made that, hasn't it, basically? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some interesting comments from Riyad Mahrez this week where he said PSG are the favourites to win the Champions League this season. Would you put them favourites, Matt? Um,
1: I don't think so. I think he's just trying to deflect away from the talk about Man City being favourites. He's trying to just keep <laughs> it humble in the press. You know, that's, that's, that's how it goes. Yeah. I think maybe because... They arguably had the toughest draw, like the biggest game of the round, and they won it. Mm. You could easily say that, but um, yeah, maybe he's just trying to deflect some attention away from City because you Quite can't probably. say another team is the favourites when you've just slapped someone 5-0 away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's true, yeah. yeah. Mind games. Yeah. What, what about you? Who are the favourites for you, Danny?
2: I mean, I would have said Byron a couple of months ago, but here we are now, aren't mm. we? Um, I'd say it's definitely Man City or Liverpool. I think it's definitely going back to England this year.
0: Oh, interesting, I'm interesting. Very, very
2: convinced of that,
0: yeah. Let's talk a bit about Man City now then. Uh, on Tuesday, they put, never mind their foot, pretty much their entire body into the quarterfinals with a <laughs> thumping 5-0 win over Sporting in Lisbon. Uh, were you a bit surprised by City's dominance here, Matt, or did you expect this game to, to kind of go like it did? Because I was a little bit surprised. I was a little bit nervous about this one, actually. I thought maybe it was a, it was a tricky tie for City. Uh,
1: the, the thing is for City is that because the way they're set up and the way that Guardiola plays the style of football, when it works, it works extraordinarily well. And I think the only time that City don't necessarily do what they should do is more down to themselves rather than the opposition being so good. And when they're on the kind of form that they're in, you know, it doesn't matter who was in the opposition that day. And it, it City were going to blow them away when they're playing that style of football. Um, having watched a bit of the Portuguese league and, and knowing Sporting's uh, game on Friday night against Porto, they let a two-goal lead slip, I just don't think they're up to up to really facing Manchester City, especially not in that
0: kind of form. Yeah, that defending was shocking. I mean, yeah. there was a there was a point. At, yeah. I mean, th- this was we've had a few games with City recently where you're watching them and you are going, they're not actually playing that well here, and they're four five nil up. Like, mm. how do you how do you kind yeah. of counteract that? But. There was a point when it was 2-0 and Sporting were, were having a few nice breaks and looking quite dangerous. I was thinking, wow, this game is not over yet. There's a chance that they could get back into this. And then the defending for the third goal was just terrible. Yeah. Like, Mahrez just yeah. was given acres of space. He puts a cross into the box that somehow evades like three defenders. Then Foden's just got time to take a touch, pick his spot and slot it home. And that's it, game over then. Uh, do you think it's a bit of a bad sign for football, Danny, if the if the champions of England are so much better than the champions of Portugal? Or, or was, it ever tw- was it ever thus
2: it was i mean <laughs> the opposite would be more of a shocker i think like if you said oh yeah sporting or you know par to par with man city i mean you'd be laughed mm-hmm. out of any pub with that kind of you know assumption wouldn't you um it's kind of always been the case that you know the premier has been you know shoulders above many other competitions in europe portugal is definitely not the first one on that list germany has also been mm-hmm. in discussion with that spain france italy like leagues that are arguably better than the portuguese league um to say that you know Man City are better than Sporting I think it's a very fair assumption to be honest with you
0: yeah yeah
1: I don't I I, I would say though it's not necessarily because they're champions of England that makes them better than the champions of Portugal right, yeah. like we've seen Liverpool go to Porto in the last few years and I think they've scored five every time
0: yeah that's right
1: yeah 5-0-5-0-5-1 yeah, five, nil, five, nil, five, or something like that at Porto I just maybe the standard and the quality of player is just much better than the Portuguese league and you don't want to disrespect mm. them um But yeah, sporting won it last year, they're second, six points behind Porto this year, and regardless when they go to City or Liverpool, you know, that they're losing big time. I think it's just a difference it's such a difference in quality regardless of whether they're champions versus champions or not.
0: Yeah. We saw Benfica beat Barcelona this season, of course, didn't we? (laughs) Yeah, that's true as well, yeah. Well supporting beat Dortmund for that matter yeah. <laughs> That's true yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Benfica, uh, there were a, a few uh, Benfica ex-Benfica players in the city lineup who who will have enjoyed this result, particularly Bernardo Silva who's a massive Benfica fan, he scored two goals here. Uh was unlucky uh, not to get his hat-trick with one goal being disallowed for offside. His first goal was a stunning goal in in this game, I thought. Um, Matt, is he, is he? Does he get into a, a European best eleven this season? Do you think in the form that he's in?
1: The question I have is that does this question only come around when he's in form? Because I I believe it was January where he had a bit of a bit of a dip in form. I think this is sort of a return to it. It,
0: it was a very brief dip. I'd say there was about two or three games yeah. where he maybe wasn't firing on all cylinders, but for the for the most part of the season, I think he's been, if not. If not City's yeah. best player, definitely one of them.
1: Yeah, one of City's best. And I think he's... When you're, when you're one of the better players in arguably the best team in Europe, you're always going to be in, in for a shout of the best 11. I think you could probably argue for four or five of City's players to be in it. <laughs> yeah. um, but certainly he's making the difference. And I think that's what puts him clear, sort of shoulders clear of a few other players. So yeah, I don't see why not. He'd definitely, definitely be
0: in a
1: squad, yeah. i say. Yeah.
0: Let's say that, yeah. How do both teams approach the second leg of this one, Danny, with the with the circumstances as they are? If, you, if you're Sporting's coach, do you play a load of youngsters? Or if you're City's coach, do you play a load of youngsters? Or do both teams go full strength?
2: It's a laser-fair laser situation at this point, I reckon. Like, if you're 5-0 down, you're mm-hmm. going to Manchester now. Uh, are you really capable of pulling six goal out of that without conceding? I don't see it happen as a coach. I mean, <laughs> if the coach is idealist and wants to play the strong 11, good for the guy. But at this point, it's just make-up. But he has to find, like, make it 2-1, 3-2, something, you know, relatively interesting to say, oh, we went to England and, not, and didn't waste our time. But at the same time, what incentive does Guardiola have to play, you know, a decent squad knowing that he still has to secure the Premier League, that he still has to, like, mind a couple injuries here and there, rotate the team, because then there's quarterfinals for the Champions League as well. So the calendar here on kind of picks up speed. I think that comes into the question more than if it's just, you know, time to shine again against a team that we already just thrashed away. So it's, I don't know, it's very, yeah, laser fair, I think is a good way to put it.
0: Yeah, there was a quote during the rounds of the week. I'm not sure if it was actually a real quote, but Guardiola saying, "Uh, Sporting are a very good team. We're not through yet. He's such a bastard, isn't he?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can't (laughs) can't can't say say that that and play the kids. (laughs) And they play the kids and be like, yeah.
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he will play the kids. I mean, the, the game before this for City is the Manchester derby. So obviously he'll go full strength there. He might rotate a little bit, but I don't think Guardiola is the kind who will just throw loads of kids in and think this is done, even though it definitely is.
1: Yeah, he might do it towards the second half. But yeah. it's also, because in City, you know, they have so many top stars who regularly sit out or play parts on the bench it's a good opportunity to give those players games. I know that Gabby Jesus and, and Jack Grealish are just back from injury. Mm. Um, Some players like that who might not necessarily get a start every single week. It's probably good to play them. But most teams are dream of dream are having that option.
0: Yeah, we'll just stick it out. Hardly the kids. We'll just stick it our hundred million pound record, British record signing. <laughs> just, just give him a <laughs> yeah. run out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nothing big, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, on Wednesday night, Liverpool got a massive result when they won 2 0 away at Inter. Uh, Danny, do you think Roberto Firmino's goal here was a, a timely reminder of what he's capable of? And with, with Diogo Jota going off injured, do you think this might be a big chance for him to reestablish himself a bit?
2: I reckon it is. I mean, the guy's been, he's been swallowed like around 14, 15 matches this season. He's been out for about two something ma- uh, months, which is, what, a good third of the season, if anything. Uh, I think he's the sort of player you just need to give him a bit of time let him be you know gain his confidence again trust whatever he whatever part of a body he just injured to be back and form 100% and he's going to deliver he's he's a winner he has that mentality he has the swag of it too like that that goal that header was just you know a mm. back kind of statement goal you know so <laughs> I don't know. I do trust the guy to like basically, not maybe not bench fully Jota or, or or Diaz, but definitely give them a run for their money for as many minutes as possible. So yeah, I reckon he's he's good for it.
0: Yeah, he's never been much of a goal scorer, but I think he does score important goals when when yeah. called upon. Um, I mean, Matt, there's been a lot of talk about with with Lewis Diaz signing what that means for for Sadio Mane's future. I feel like uh, Firmino has become a bit of an afterthought. Do you think he's still got a big role to play for Liverpool?
1: Um, I personally don't think so. I think with the way that Liverpool are going at the moment, they haven't quite got uh, a 20-25 goal-a-season striker um, to fit inside um, between Salah and Mane. If they were to sign someone like that, with Yotta being quite a few years younger as well, that may push Firmino as a third choice. Mm. And we've seen at Liverpool in the last few seasons, even when your second choice, like someone like Divock Origi was, your games are very few and far between. Klopp likes the same starting eleven. Um once he figures out who that is, let's say it's and, I don't and they they sign a big striker from somewhere, it's very rarely going to change. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's all well and good putting on Firmino in this game. Um, it came on at half-time, I believe. Uh, but when it comes down to the business end of the season and Liverpool got games that could win him the title, win him the Champions League, that's when you see what he really thinks of Firmino. And if he's not starting those games, it's a pretty it's a pretty big message that maybe... Maybe his time is sort of slowly coming to an end because I can't see Firmino just accepting to basically play the Origi role for the next year.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, were you impressed with Ibu Kanate here, Danny? Because I was. I know you will have seen a, quite a bit of him in the Bundesliga before he joined Liverpool. Do you, th- do you think he looks like he's formed a good partnership with with Virgil Van Dijk?
2: I mean, it, it takes a bit of time to like establish himself fully in a team, especially at Liverpool, where you know like rotations are plenty, and uh, you know there's a lot of things to be done or a lot of uh, objectives to achieve. Definitely more than in Leipzig. Um, but. If anything, he's a good, he's like a lucky charm. Like Liverpool have yet to lose since he, when he's played. I think the worst result was like a 2-2 against Tottenham or Brighton or a couple of them actually. But I mean, he's still, what, 22 years old. He still has some time to like even further develop this bond. The fact that, you know, he has a clear like uh, a coach like uh, Klopp that is, you know, really patient with that sort of development and like getting the right system to function and the right role within the system, I think is in good hands and he has a quality and the body for it as well. I think it's going to look a lot better down the line than it does now. Not saying that it doesn't saying good now it's just more promising than it is already good
0: anyway. yeah yeah I think he's looking really good I think it's uh quite remarkable that Liverpool have got so many options now after after their their season was was derailed by injuries last season uh, they brought a few subs on in this game Matt. they brought the likes of Jordan Henderson Firmino uh Diaz Cater off the bench is that is that a sign that Liverpool have, have really sort of Pulled away from those injury problems now, and they're, they're looking really strong in in the the entire squad. Yeah,
1: I think if you can pull those kind of substitutes off the bench, yeah. you're looking at a very very good good level of squad depth. Yeah, they were unlucky with injuries, and I think most most teams would suffer when you have such big injuries to big players like they did last season. Um, but certainly, yeah, when you wheel those names off the bench, that's that's pretty that's pretty strong to bring on. And if they can see that to the end of the season and not really have any other major injuries. You can see them fighting maybe on more, more counts than one.
0: Yeah, quadruple is still on for them, of yeah. course. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> uh, you said that Klopp made that half-time sub uh, with Jota going off injury and Firmino coming on. He, met, he then made a triple sub in the second half as well. Matt, do you think five subs makes the, the Champions League a, a bit of a different ball game to the Premier League? Does it sort of enable you to do things that you can't do in the Premier League?
1: Yeah, I, I would think so. And especially when you consider that the games are midweek, uh you consider with well, the travel and going to Europe and this that and the other it probably helps just to keep players a little bit not only fresher for the weekend but also it allows players who aren't necessarily getting into the starting lineup to play more and if you need to change the game you can uh, I think it puts a lot more emphasis on you know Klopp was being held as an absolute master for making a triple switch and it worked and I think, you know, I think good on him if he's using the substitutes to the best of their ability and to the best of being able to play the occasion. Um, I'd say because you're yeah, absolutely flogging all of your players, I think might lead to a bit of a lesser quality towards
0: the end of the season, and that's not really what you want to see when it comes to the bigger games at, at the uh, at the business end. Yeah, what do you think, Danny? It's weird to me that it almost feels a bit like basketball. You know how you can just like change your players like that. Like I know you can't bring them on and off like you can in basketball, but it's 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 just those those two extra subs adds a different dimension to the game. I think.
2: I mean, you're subbing arguably half of the well half of the fillable of of uh, field players, event yeah. so you're allowed to do that. I think it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it adds a little extra depth when it comes to, like, tactics. And this is a very taxi, like tactical, savvy era in football, isn't it? Like, I do understand that it, it does seem odd and does come off as a very why not North American way of understanding the sport? But at the same time, I don't know, I kind of do enjoy the fact that the game can rapidly change between, in, with you know, from one sub to fourth sub kind of situation, and you do see teams kind of react to that differently. It adds this extra layer of, of excitement if you're, like, really keen on more of the tactical side of the game. So for those, I'm pretty sure they're enjoying that. I can imagine for the more orthodox or traditional um, football fan, this seems a bit, you know, uh, heretic for that matter. But uh, I don't know. It's good fun in any case.
0: Though. Definitely, yeah, yeah. I think that triple triple sub changed the game quite a lot actually. Because into yeah. into were really putting Liverpool under pressure. They were just you know just not the, the final ball was just lacking for Inter at some points. There was there were times where they were nearly getting Jacko in over the top, nearly getting Lautaro and Martinez on it. Never really never really came off. Do you think there was a, this was a little bit of a missed opportunity for them, Matt? And will they will they be a bit uh, regretful at how things panned out? Yeah, definitely because
1: they were at home. I'm not quite sure they you know, give it as much or even get the opportunity to to get Dzeko in. I mean, that he was offside for, his, um, for the offside goal. But I think just that confidence and that way of playing doesn't really happen in the second leg at Anfield. Um, so, yeah, I think this really, really was a missed opportunity, even just to grab a goal, even just to prove that they can mix it with Liverpool. Um, and at this stage of the competition, this was their first appearance in 10 years in the knockout rounds of the Champions League. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit of a missed opportunity, maybe from a mentality point of view, um, as well as obviously a scoreline point of view.
0: Yeah. Do you think, Danny, we, we touched on it a little bit earlier. Do you think that Liverpool can uh, win the Champions League and catch City in the Premier League, or does it have to be one or the other?
2: I mean, I think they still can. I think that's not a question of, of the quality of the team, the depth of the team. We we're talking about that just now, how the injuries being, the injury cycle kind of being over for Liverpool adds a different you know, uh, context to them at this point. But uh, I think it's basically up to City on whether they keep the league out of their hand or out of their reach uh, during the next four weeks. If if City can manage, as they already managed the 5-0 uh, in Lisbon, to keep that sort of pace in the Premier League for the next, what, three or four matches. I think there's going to be a point where like Klopp says, yeah, I mean... Either we go, you know, full in for the for the Premier League and just sacrifice whatever we have to do for the Champions League or we just go full on for the Champions League. And, I mean, being second in the Premier League and winning the Champions League is hardly a bad deal. So, you know, I think it's arguably not what they want or wish, but it's definitely something they could accept as a fan base, I reckon.
0: Do you think Tottenham are going to put a dent in City's title hopes this weekend, Matt? No chance.
2: <laughs> well, Thank well, you. Yeah, well,
1: well, We'll look back on this at the Premier League podcast, but I am not hopeful in the slightest.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Antonio Conte said you have a 1% chance of finishing top four this season, did he? Oh, yeah, God, that's promising. <laughs> <laughs> I like those odds. Yeah. <laughs> and the other game on Wednesday, Bayern Munich needed a late equaliser from Kingsley Coman to secure a draw away at Salzburg. Was this uh, frustrating from a Bayern perspective, Danny?
2: Uh, I think the season in general has been very topsy-turvy for Bayern. Like the whole, first of all, like off the pitch has been oddly, you know, media friendly for Bayern in the sense that you know there's a lot of headlines about things they wouldn't like talking about uh and uh once you go to the pitch you do see the team is kind of a bit all over the place here and there it's good to see like players like maybe like Leroy Sané have stepped up this season and all that but for it boiling down to shoot what 25 times 12 on target 13 on target scoring only one against Salzburg yeah it stings a bit definitely having said that it's a really good opposition a lot better than many people give them credit for in Salzburg but uh but yeah I mean the team is a bit of a bit of a wreck at this point, Byron.
0: Do you think Nagelsmann's got, got his tactics wrong lately? Do you think this uh, this current system is kind of halving, uh, harming harming uh, Thomas Müller's effectiveness?
2: Uh, I mean, yeah, I think Müller's not the only one paying for that. Lewandowski was clearly like on the on the ugly end of the joke during that match as well. Like he didn't touch that many balls either. Uh, Gnabry was all over the place. He had like two players on him the whole time. Coleman managed to score that goal, and one of the two times he actually had some room to play with. Uh, but the other problem is that the defense is is requesting or requiring so much help from the midfield and therefore from the, from the offense as well to like basically cover up all the mistakes. Uh, that you do see the team starting to play starting play a lot deeper in the pitch and having to run a lot faster and a lot you know further down in order to make up for lost ground literally. And uh, you do see that playing sort of like a I don't know like a, a part in all this that the team is having to like, mm. struggle getting the ball back, getting it back into the into like you know creating plays and all that and they've just been a, b- a lot more erratic with the passing I think uh, you do see them play three or four passes then they just drop the ball by the time they go past midfield and uh, it just kind of repeats on a loop the whole time every single game seems that way you right know <laughs> that you know when Sané touches the ball if he gets to touch the ball the next pass is if he or if Nauvri goes for a run he's going to go all the way down to the uh, to you know the end of the pitch kind of it then just lob the ball and wish for the best somewhere and it's not a way to win a title, is it?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the defensive problems are becoming a bit of a problem. Um, they've they shipped four goals to, to Bochum at the weekend, of course. They perhaps yeah. a bit fortunate to only concede one goal here. Do you think it's down to the defensive personnel, Matt, or is it more of a, a team and tactical issue?
1: Um a bit of both, but I would put a bit of pressure on, on Nicolas Sula. I just don't think mm. he's good enough to be almost the only central defender in that team. Um I can't remember who it was. It was probably it sounds like something Roy Keane would say. <laughs> um, who said that the only reason you play three centre-backs is because you don't trust them to play two. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, and and I think the problem is that when you're switching to three centre-backs, like they have done, it comes with the idea that you've also got wing-backs to be solid, and Nabri and Coman are not wing-backs. And them flying forward and leaving everyone a bit open at the back just does not suit Nicholas Zula, who who as we saw with the likes of Adeyemi and, and Okafor until he came off. Um, and, and Adamu, again, just is like the complete opposite of Sula's style of play. They're his, his kryptonite, you know, these smaller <laughs> players. Um, and he really does look a little bit exposed because I think Pavard and Hernandez have the tendency to remember their previous lives as right back and left back. And they can get dragged out quite easily. And there were times I was watching Zula thinking, oh my God, it's like the German Maguire. And that's something no one ever wants to be called. So, yeah, I, I think it sometimes is down to Zula. But on top of this, the tactics are definitely not helping Bayern Munich.
0: Hmm. Is it a bit of a problem, Danny, that, that we know that Zula's off to Dortmund next season and he's still played a big role for Bayern? Is, is that... A bit strange.
2: I think and pardon the explain it's basically like a shitstorm in the defense because you also have Upamecano who was signed this season and he's done very little to like find his form or anything. He struggled with mm-hmm. anything immensely in the team. Then you have the problem that you do feel the absence of Alfonso Davis with a lot of the breaks the team ought to make. Also the fact that he's not an option anymore forces Nagelsmann to play a back three more often than he would usually do. Because otherwise you play Pavard on the right, you play two center backs in Upamecano and Zule. Uh, Davis on the left. Presto, things seem a lot more stable. Add to that that once you lose one or two starters in the defense, who's left? Sar? Stanisic? Uh, You're playing Sabitzer on left back sometimes, for Christ's sake. Sabitzer, like a player who's not known for being... Good at defense, so it kind of is basically like a structural issue as well, like a form issue. Uh, they just look like a mess, and yeah, like going back to what Tumatz said. Like once you see Lucas playing center back, Pavard playing center back, you do are you are aware that it's all down to the German Maguire. So it's not <laughs> ideal, is it? Uh, it's far what from it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about uh, what about Goretzka? How much to buy miss him? Do you think?
2: Oh, tons, tons, because he is hmm. the one player that allows Kimmich to be a lot more physical. A lot, maybe sacrifice a bit more of the offense and still have a good ball control in the, uh, the midfield. Uh, so now you're kind of like trying to compensate that with Mueller, who is not necessarily, you know, the most uh, adaptable player. You have to kind of build the team around him in a way because he's this, well, what they call the Deutscher" kind of role, which is basically yeah. he does whatever the hell he wants and it kind of <laughs> works from time to time. When it works, it's brilliant. When it doesn't, here we are talking about it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Goretzka is arguably one of the three most important players on that team. Neuer not being around definitely, you know, makes the confidence, the back line also drop a little bit. Mm-hmm. Although Ulreich did a really good game, I reckon. I mean, he did everything he could. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know, it's, it's injuries, it's lack of depth in the squad, which is odd for Bayern. And uh, the fact that defence is just shambles at this point.
0: Yeah, so you don't fancy him to win the Champions League at this point?
2: Uh, Mekano needs to do a lot. Goretzka has to come back, and Neuer has to basically do steroids to be ready for the next game. But uh, it's it boils down to that at this point, I reckon. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Matt, were you surprised by Salzburg's performance here, and, and which of their players really stood out for you?
1: Uh, I wasn't necessarily surprised because I know, especially domestically, how good they've been recently and how many good players they have. But still, when you're coming up against, you know, no disrespect to the Austrian Bundesliga, the Austrian Bundesliga champions, you'd still think that that Bayern Munich would be able to win the game. Uh, I was really mm. impressed with Mo Kamara in midfield. Um, it was a real all-action display. And I know that Amy often takes the headlines as, as the main yeah. goal scorer and top goal scorer in the team. But I thought he was really, really good, Camera in the midfield. And certainly to go up against players experienced as Joshua Kimmich and the attacking talent that was on the field for Bayern Munich, he did a really, really good job of um of yeah, not not just being a destroyer and stopping you know Bayern Munich playing their game, but also Salzburg left their own imprint on the game. You know they weren't just constantly worried yeah. about the opposition. They went forward, they created a lot, um, and I thought Aronson as well. The, uh, the American. Yes, yeah, I was going to say there, him. Yeah, um, was he really, is. really good, and it's one of these things where they often provide a good foil for for the you know the headline maker in Andy Amy.
0: Brendan Aronson spells his name B E sorry B R E N D E N. That's weird, isn't it? Bren-den. You don't see Brendan Bren-den. spelled Brendan uh, in yeah. America. They spell
1: all sorts of
2: names well, like that. <laughs> that's exactly, true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've seen Kathleen spelled with Q. so that's get started <laughs> You know, uh oh,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> Arkansas, whatever it is, but
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought Adamu, who scored the goal, looked mm-hmm. looked really good as well. And uh, what did you make of Amy's performance, Danny? Was this a was this an audition for a future move to Bayern Munich?
2: uh i mean to the bundesliga definitely i don't know if i mean whoever's gonna sign him better move on it because that was a really good game not just for all Salzburg, but he even though he didn't score wasn't the, like the star or stellar player for the match he's definitely one of those players that is in conversation and they ha- i would i would just haul ass right now and just trying to close this deal whoever you are because whoever the more you're going to wait the better he's going to play the more shit he's going to do just get <laughs> it done now sign him whoever it is just sign him
0: signed a thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> signed the game yeah. uh, moving on to Thursday night there were a couple of Europa League games that caught the eye the first being a sensational 4-2 win at Dortmund for Rangers uh, what a result for Rangers Matt but uh, do you think this says says more about them or Dortmund at this moment in time
1: uh,
0: a bit of both probably I guess if you're uh,
1: most in the UK would sort of hark on about how Rangers did whereas over here in Germany in the Bundesliga everyone's pointing at Dortmund's downfall I think Maybe it says more about the Dortmund defense. Certainly, that Hummels hasn't been at his best this season. They've already agreed to deals to, to, to sign Sula, and they're aware that defense could do with some improvement. Um, so, yeah, it also leaves a question over Marco Rosa. And this certainly isn't something that's just a one off. You know, I know they're training Bayern Munich, six points behind them, I think, in the league. Um, a buy-in side that, as Danny said, haven't exactly been on top form. So to still be six points behind, does it reflect too well on Dortmund? Out the cup um, from Saint Pauli, a second division team in the in the second Bundesliga, and yeah, on the on the brink of being kicked out of their second European tournament of the season. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I think it really does say a lot about them. And on top of this, without Erling Haaland. No team's going to be as good when you don't have your superstar striker in the team. But I think it really does say a lot that they didn't look so great without him as as a focal point. I think mentally as well. They just you know The rest of the team probably looks at him and feels better when he's on the pitch.
0: Mm. But yeah, Rangers playing really well. Do you think we, we could see a, a repeat of 2008 and them going all the way mm. to the final this year?
1: Potentially. That was, they lost to Zenit, I believe.
0: They did, yeah. And that was, that was at Man City. It was, yeah. It they was made an the absolute City. mess of Manchester City Centre. <laughs> so if they do go to the final, I hope they don't do the same to Seville. Yeah,
1: yeah. Is that where it is in Seville? Oh, very, yeah. Very nice league final. Um, yeah. We could see We saw they had a bit of pedigree last season. They, um, they went to Braga, I believe, and won uh, under Stephen Gerrard, and they were knocked out by Leverkusen in the end. Mm. I believe it was. So you, you can see that they're, they're starting to pick up a bit of pedigree in this competition and a bit of belief. And look, if you don't think that you've got a good chance of making the semis or the final after winning 4-2 in Dortmund, then I don't know what you're thinking. So there's certainly the belief will be there.
0: Yeah. My dad always tells a story about that 2008 final that he was walking through Manchester City Centre during the day and it was like 10 o'clock in the morning and he saw people drinking uh, plastic pint pots of what looked like water. And uh, and then he saw someone pouring a bottle of vodka into a pint pot. So they were drinking pints of straight vodka <laughs> at 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, Lord. And yeah, you wonder why there was, there was trouble later in the day. So, yeah. Good luck, Rangers, <laughs> but uh, ease off the uh, the pints of vodka, please. <laughs> 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 what did you think of uh, Alf- Alfredo Morelos' performance here, Danny? Do you think he's likely to attract the attention of other, other clubs with that?
2: Well, I mean, the thing with him is... He's like Dr. Jekrimis at high in a sense. Like he's a really good striker. He's like like a proper killer, you know, kind of striker as they'd say in Spanish. But he has a temper and I don't see any big club willing to risk a guy that is just so easily off as he is in <laughs> the Most in- rattled
0: like- man in Europe, isn't he? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly that. And like I mean, what is it, like, the rec- the red card count he had one season of it was like six Something red cards. Something like that, yeah. It. it was like ridiculous. So I don't see like any, you know, top tier team saying, "Oh, he's definitely our plan A." Uh, however, I do I do think like you know like a mid table team and maybe maybe not Spain even the Premier League would like definitely consider this guy and that risk something worth uh, assuming as worst case scenario selling for more money yeah. so it's uh I mean but he definitely has the quality to just do the jump from Rangers.
0: I, I do wonder if the uh, part of his problem is the the Colombian mentality combined with Scottish football is just such a lethal cocktail. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's probably that, but it's so bad that at this point, like they don't really call him up to the national team, do they? Yeah. He just goes, he just parties his, his ass yeah. off. So, yeah, no, it tells a bit about the guy that if he works on being more a bit more of a professional and not that much of a wreck when it comes to tackling or, you know, punching. Yeah,
0: maybe he's drinking pints uh, of vodka. That's his problem. He needs to lay off that as yeah, well. Yeah, well,
2: well, he's probably having like an easy day, so maybe it's just gin. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, definitely up there. <laughs>
0: uh, what, what, what do you think uh, Erling Haaland is thinking when he's watching Dortmund play like that, Matt? Do you think if there's any doubt in his mind about staying uh, or going in the summer that he's he's kind of making his mind up at this point?
1: I think he's... Probably thinking he's gonna leave. Uh the the question for me is that he's sort of got to be plotting where Dortmund realistically think they can have success and win their trophies. And he'll know that they're going head to head with Bayern Munich every season is gonna be difficult. I don't think any Dortmund player isn't fully aware of uh the challenge in trying to wrestle the Bundesliga title off off Bayern Munich. The cup is definitely, definitely an opportunity for them to win. They won it last season and they've been knocked out. The Champions League can be something they can make their mark in and maybe cause a bit of a shock. So to not only go out, but then also in a competition, which Dortmund, to be honest, should be one of the favourites, certainly the final four, to then go and potentially go out as well in the round of 16, it's telling Haaland that these levels to compete just aren't really there. And I liken it to the Kane situation at Spurs where Kane knows that Dortmund, uh, that Tottenham could be a good team, just like Haaland knows Dortmund could be a good team. They've got some good players, they can recruit some good players, but they're just just that step away from ever really meaningfully challenging for anything. Um, And look, I I think, you know, a DFB-Pokal every couple of seasons isn't really enough where Haaland wants to be, especially when you consider what Mbappe is likely to do this summer. I think those two are... uh, at a point in their careers where they could both get big moves, two big clubs, and this could be the new rivalry, as much as I hate to put pressure on those two, to follow in the Ronaldo Messi mould. You know, Mbappe is going to make that step up to winning trophies, playing for Real Madrid, dominate the Champions League. And Haaland would have seen that. Haaland would have seen Mbappe's performance in the big games against Real Madrid in the Champions League knockouts. And he would have thought, oh... I'm sat here on the sideline watching my team lose to Rangers in the Europa League. No disrespect. So I think he would have seen that and you don't want that gap between the two to widen. He wants to remain in that Mbappe and
0: Haaland conversation. Yeah, that's true. I'm so bored of this. Who's better Messi or Ronaldo chant? Yeah. I can't wait for the boat to retire, but it's just gonna rear its ugly head again with with Mbappe and Haaland for the next twenty years, isn't it? Yeah. The next generation. Danny, do you think uh, do you think Marco Rosa's job is under threat if, if Dortmund get knocked out of the Europa League, or does it not really matter in the grand scheme of things?
2: I don't think it matters. I think what Dortmund kind of usually look for in a coach is someone to build a project. And has he built a project? Uh, This season's basically been reduced to Jude Bellingham and Elling Haaland and Marco Royce being on game to the fact that Koblenz has been arguably their best signing this season, uh, like the goalkeeper, I mean. But the rest, what, what do Dortmund have to work once you don't have Bellingham, Royce, or... Holland. Uh, They've
0: got the German Maguire coming though, don't forget. They so. have German
2: Maguire coming, but those who have Nico Schulz, Felix Paslak, and all these names <laughs> that just sound like FIFA fillers, of anything. So, I don't know. Like, It's kind of hard to say that Marco Rose has made a really good impression not only within the club structure, but also within the fan base, I reckon. Like, It's been kind of iffy. The team does get good results here and there, but at the same time, you do notice that it's kind of hard for them to have this consistency that is necessary for you to like secure a job in a club that arguably could really be head-to-head against Bayern or could be at least in the final 16 of the Champions League or could be still alive in the Pokal. None of those are reality. Now, like we're talking here, they're facing to being disqualified from a tournament that Mats Hummels said literally the day before the game, we ought to win this thing. Um, (laughs) Kind of tells the whole story, doesn't it? And I don't really see them, like seeing him basically, holding on to this job uh, after summer. Keep in mind, they also have Terzic as sort of like this... Uh, Hansi Flick role before during the Kovac days at Bayern. You know, mm. he's there. He's not fully there, but he's in the system already, and he already did that last season. Arguably, did an okay job. Even though I really like the guy, but uh, well,
0: I mean, the cup didn't. He you can't can't argue with that, really.
2: You can't really argue with the cup. Yeah. Mm. So uh, the guy, yeah, Rose. Long story short, should definitely be worried about getting a really good like five game win streak in the Bundesliga to like get everyone to shut up a little bit. But everyone's yeah. talking, and there's a reason for that.
0: Yeah, uh, there was also the clash at Camp Nou on Thursday where Barcelona drew 1-1 with Napoli. Uh, Barca have not scored more than once in their last 10 for fixtures now. Is that a good indicator, Matt, of how far they've fallen in recent times?
1: Uh, absolutely. For a team that is historically known for scoring a lot of goals, especially <laughs> in the Champions League, that really that really does sum it up. And I think it more, more sums up their attacking problems as well. They just sort of, you know, they swapped quite a lot of strikers in the last few seasons. Um, brought in uh, quite a few new ones as well and they just don't really there just doesn't really seem to be a belief in what they're doing basically Mm. in in the attacking area I think they had you know Suarez what was it seven years in in the team alongside Lionel Messi and that kind of continuity allowed whoever was going to swap in and out basically they know what they were doing and that this attacking style of play was evident now without somebody to build around I mean who do you build the attack around Do you you build it around? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Do you build it around players that constantly swap? Do you build it around Ferran Torres as a left winger, or Ferran Torres as a striker, Mm. as as Depay as a false nine, or as a striker? Too many players moving around, and there's no real consistency in the way that they attack. And until they find out the best three and the best way of doing it, I think you're going to see Barcelona struggle to to sort of blow teams away, even if they win the odd game here and
0: there. Yeah. I mean, it feels like Xavi sort of got them pointing in the right direction now, Danny, but, you know, they've been playing pretty well in La Liga recently. But what still needs to change, do you think?
2: Well, the transition with them is a very costly one because they also don't have that much wiggle room when it comes to money. You know? uh, that's the main issue. And what happens is that now you have still Piqué, Alba, Busquets kind of like leading the squad but every season they're slower they're not as accurate they're not as active they're more prone to injury uh, etc and the masia at this point can only add depth like there's no one player pedri maybe is like the one player you could say that his like a starting 11 yes or yes kind of question. But there's a gap you have to fill because the team you have right now is probably good enough for, what, 75% of the Liga matches, but it's kind of hard for them to, like, to be contenders right now. They, they play a lot better than under Coleman, for sure. The style is back. It does feel more like a Barca kind of football, uh, the identity part at least. But at the same time, I just don't see this team more than just signing players to fill spots that they need, like the Traore, the Aubameyang signing, that sort of play. Dani Alves also coming back. Gives you an idea they just need names. They don't need a... Uh quality at this point. They just need enough players to get through the season, whereas five injuries does not derail the whole uh, qualifying to the Champions League. And I think that's basically what they're focused on right now, making it to the next Champions League, maybe winning a Clasico, but I don't see them being able to do much more than that at this point.
0: Yeah. Ferran Torres scored from the penalty spot to equalize here. He, he was wasteful at other times, though. How has he done as a Barca player so far, Danny?
2: Um, I mean, he's still obviously getting the hang of things. Like He's been there what, a couple months only. Uh, there's been a lot of change there, too. Xabi coming in, the different well, different, quote-unquote, compared to Guardiola kind of football. It's very much a similar brand. Mm. But uh, it's a different level. And when you're playing with, you know, Mars and you're playing with Gabriel Jesus, and you're playing with Graylish, and you're playing with, you know, this really good ensemble of players, and now you're going to, you know, Gabi, you're going to, you know, Braithwaite, you're going to training with Danny Alves, <laughs> maybe, which is the highlight. But
0: it's a very different... Gabi's got isn't he? Oh,
2: he's quality, but he's a 17-year-old. So, like, you can't really yeah. compare... Training with players who've actually won titles to training with a kid from La Masia or kids from La Masia, plural. Um, but in his defense, I mean, he scored two goals and two assists in about 500 minutes of play. So it's not necessarily bad, but you have to keep in mind the context he ha- he's doing that in. It's arguably the worst attacking Barcelona in decades. So <laughs> fair play to him. But yeah, it's close, but no cigar so far, I reckon.
0: Yeah, it's, it's like... Barcelona at the moment is like a more souped-up version of Harry Redknapp's QPR, isn't it? Really, <laughs> they're just—it's just a bunch of guys. There's not really a team. There's, there's not, there's not much cohesion there. It's at Twenty-two
2: the legs, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Matt, do you think, um, do you think Barcelona need to be looking to win the Europa League this season, or, or is it a, a bit of a distraction from from the principal aim, which should be finishing in the top four in La Liga? And how do you see the second leg of this this tie going?
1: Yeah, that's the interesting thing is that. Normally, you'd say Barcelona have to win this. Like You absolutely have to mm-hmm. win the Europa League. You consider how good they can be. Um, but I think that the Champions League finishing a top four is far bigger. That's not something you'd associate with Barcelona because they're usually so easily within the top four that they can focus on winning some trophies. But they might have to sacrifice that for this season. Um, because unlike when we are looking at Dortmund before as well, Dortmund aren't going to drop out in the top four of the Bundesliga. They may fail to challenge Bayern, but they're going to be in the Champions League group stage next season. And if mm. Barcelona can't guarantee that, that has a massive impact on their summer signings, uh, on the potential yeah. money that can come in for qualifying. So they should win it, but I don't think it's terrible if they go out. And going to Napoli, Napoli have the best defence in La Liga, but oddly enough, they seem to have these one or two results which really really don't, uh, don't fit in with that, especially, you know, the, the group stage this season, they conceded three at home to Sparta at Moscow. Uh, they conceded two to Leicester. They just lost five, two in the cup to Fiorentina. So there's mm. definitely reason to believe that despite the fact they're the best defense in La league, Barcelona could go there and win, but I think
0: best defense is Serie A. You mean
1: Serie A. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think the La Liga team, Barcelona, there you <laughs> know, I was got my wires cross. Um, could definitely go there and cause an upset, but I don't know. I think this one could be tough. Could be yeah. A tough, a tough sell to to make me believe that Barcelona are definitely going to go there and, and go through.
0: Indeed. Well, the Europa League wasn't the only competition taking place on Thursday. Of course, it's the ugly duckling of European football. But Matt, are you are you glad the Conference League exists, or can we do without it? You know, Spurs were in it earlier the season. Yeah. Of course.
1: I've kind of likened it to the bounty in a box of celebrations. <laughs> you're not glad that it's the only one there, but it's still chocolate at the end of the yeah. day. So, like, you can't be arsed with the Euro. You can't, You don't like the Conference League, but at the end of the day, it's still football. It's mm. still, you know...
0: I like bounties, by the way.
1: Oh, you're one of the... I think my dad does as well. <laughs> I just, I, you know what I mean? Like, when you're scraping, literally scraping the bottom of the box, it's like when you're flicking through TV and you're like, ah, oh, it's Conference League, but... Is football, I yeah. think the problem for English fans is that it's called the Conference League, and that immediately makes you think of what the national league in England is yeah, called, yeah. which is fifth division. Yeah. yeah, it's like calling it the UEFA Champions
0: League Sunday League. <laughs> <laughs> you're
1: like, and you're like, uh, is it Sunday League or is it
2: Champions League? <laughs> I think it's so yeah.
0: dumb that they call it the Europa Conference League.
2: Yeah, it seems like, like why, an extra word. Why, is there. It,
0: why does it need that Europa word there? Yeah, yeah, just it call it the fancy Conference fancy League. Well. Yeah.
1: Conference League literally makes it sound terrible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, it's perhaps uh, perhaps good for the likes of Leicester, who ran out uh, 4-1 winners to Danish side Randers on Thursday. Uh, I think they really needed this result, didn't they, Matt? Is is this going to be a good opportunity for them to to salvage some pride from the season and for Brendan Rodgers to to show what he can do?
1: Uh, Yeah, but he's also said, I didn't realise we were (laughs) in it when they got knocked out of the Europa League in December. So I kind of think, (laughs) yeah, you did, Brendan. You're not that... (laughs) You're not that ridiculous, so I kind of want them to lose. But uh, it is a good opportunity because certainly in the league, we've talked about quite a lot on the, on the podcast on the Premier League podcast that things are just so hit and miss for Leicester. Um, this could be a good option for them to get a, another trophy. You know, the last few seasons, Charity Shield, in the FA Cup, and of course, five six years ago, the league as well. Look, if you can add to your if you can add to your trophy cabinet in a position which they may not find themselves in for you know who knows, maybe quite a few years to come. Then, then sure, why not? I also think it's yeah. a shame if if they go through that. Randers won't play Rangers. I, don't
2: know <laughs> yeah. why, but I just thought well, that was just thinking that actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'd be just amazingly that. gorgeous if that happened in football. Yeah, it's it's like it's like the Rand Run, Ref- Run Derby. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> it's like when referee Craig Pawson booked Craig Dawson <laughs> earlier this season. <laughs> you know, it, it was. It was just glorious.
0: <laughs> Loved a bit of synchronicity. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, what we exactly. like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, elsewhere in the Conference League, Celtic suffered a 3-1 defeat at home to Norwegian champions Bodo Glimt, uh, is how I think you say it anyway. Uh, I've seen people describing this as, as a shock result, Danny. Do you think it was? I mean, they're the, the champions of Norway. They, they beat Roma 6-0 uh, earlier this season.
2: I mean, yeah, I remember that one being like a huge uh, result and for that week, if anything. like No one expected that to happen. Uh but, uh, I mean, in the end, it is Celtic, and it is Bodo Glimt, or however you say that in a region. Uh, <laughs> but, I don't know, it's also like a good wake-up call to see what can actually happen to Scottish teams in Europe nowadays. Like, if you can go to Conference League, being a bit cocky about what you can actually achieve there, and then, lo and behold, there you go. In comes Bodo with three goals for you. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know, like, it's also... what I Was think- it Bodo or
0: Glimt, though? that.
2: It's like the Goitzsche Furt name. Like Groitz is a town, <laughs> Furt's a town. They just blend it together, and here we are. But uh, I don't know. It's uh, I'll just call them Bodo or Glimda. It's the same. Are
0: they the only football team with a with a forward slash in the name? It is
2: an interesting addition, if anything, mm. it is. But the, the point I was trying to make here was that I think the worst part of this is the context in which it occurs. Like Rangers literally just beat Dortmund at Dortmund, the black and yellow team you're expecting to win that weekend, weekend, and here come the regions and just thrash you at home. So. I don't know, maybe Podrick is not having the best Friday of his life at this point.
0: Probably not. Poor probably guy. not. <laughs> uh Matt, do you think this result is made even more remarkable by the fact that Bodo glimt Bodo slash are still in their pre season. Yeah, that's
1: what makes it a little bit more impressive. Um, usually most teams who go to Scotland complain about the cold weather, but given the fact <laughs> that Glimt and Bodo, both regions are in the Arctic Circle in Norway, it's probably it was probably like yeah, a that's right, yeah. day for them in a, in a <laughs> They're yeah, applying yeah. sun cream and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I was very impressed by them. I was impressed by them earlier in the season. And um, I, I did a little bit of uh, of research on them in, in years gone by as, as they've sort of made their way towards the top of the league. And they're an interesting team and they produce quite, some quite big players um, over the years. And yeah, they're just... It, it may be a bit sort of odd for us to, to see them do so well, but I think... Actually, they're they're putting together a pretty solid team for the past couple of years. Um, So this might not necessarily be the biggest shock
0: if they go through. Indeed. Uh, that's about all we've got time for, but I've, uh, I've taken a leaf out of your book this week, Matt, and I've got a little quiz question for you both to, to finish with today. Uh, it's, a, it, I okay. it's a two-pronged quiz question. Uh, first person to, to shout up the answer wins. So the first part of the question is, the first five European Cups were all won by the same club. Which club was that?
2: Real Madrid. Real Madrid.
0: That's an easy one. The second part of the question is who was the second club to win the European Cup?
2: Celtic no no it was uh uh Benfica.
0: Correct. Nice. It was Benfica. And
2: you we were talking garbage about Portuguese they, football huh, earlier. Yeah,
0: on. back when <laughs> yeah. Portuguese football was was a they, big deal. They
1: lost they lost a couple of the finals to Real Madrid before they won it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you're right. About and that. there is there is a there is a curse on Benfica. I don't know if you heard about this. Go oh, on. the Alinho the, Pereira one. They, isn't it? they they yeah, they they believe that since that final um they they there's someone put a curse on the club and they've lost every european final. yeah that was
2: uh i think that was i might be wrong but i think it was elena herrera that he left they sacked him after that season they've reached the final and he literally like jinxed him with like you know you're never gonna win this you know without me kind of thing (laughs) and they've been to some like seven or eight finals and they've all they've just you know dropped the ball the last second in each one of them so Benfica
1: for about sixty years have been doomed to never win a European. You know what?
0: I didn't think we'd be talking about witchcraft today, but yeah. here we go.
2: You know what? What, what sucked the most? Not knowing whether you lost it because you're bad or lost it because of a curse. Like I know <laughs> which what hurts the most, but
0: it's there definitely. <laughs> oh, God. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that will do us for this week. Thank you to Danny and Matt for joining me. You'll be back on Monday with the Premier League podcast, Matt. Is that right?
2: Uh,
1: yes, yeah. Monday,
0: Monday. Yes, you will. Lewis will be back with the Women's Football podcast uh, later in the week and I'll be back next Friday to talk about the other half of the uh, Champions League round of 16 and the Europa League and the Conference League. If you want to get in touch with our, any of our podcasts, in the meantime, the email address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com. Have a good week and we'll catch you next time.